Uh, it is overwhelming to sit and see this stage filled with parents and kids. Uh, as Eric said, I would affirm uh, what an exciting moment to share as, as a community of faith and a family and to stand with them. Um, I want you to know we, 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 we do things like that, and it, that's not an ordinance of the church, but it's, it's a practice we do of, of, of affirming and giving parents the opportunity to make that statement and, um, and to do it as a family. We'll do something else as a family tonight. I want to mention party on the lawn right here on the front end to say we'll be together there again. And I want you to think about this because this is, could be true of some of you in the room. I, I know it's true across whether it, Fellowship Franklin or Fellowship Brentwood, that, um, you know, we prayed as they held those kids, we prayed, Lord, would, Eric said, would, would they come to a future faith? Would, would these children one day come to put their faith in Christ? And uh, that's a baby dedication. Well, tonight we'll do baptisms at Party on the Lawn, and there will be children, young, young people baptized who were babies, who stood on a stage and whose parents said, I pray that one day this child will come to faith. And so again, tonight's a, a, just an extension of this celebration this morning where you will see children baptized who God has answered our prayer and they've come to faith. So I sure hope you'll mark that on the calendar. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. We're quickly approaching the end of our study of the life of Abraham in Genesis 12 through 25. Sarah has died. Uh, she's been buried. That's chapter 23. Now keep in mind the promise of God. Eric, or, or Rob mentioned this, and Eric, Eric has mentioned it, but Rob introduced it way back when we began. A people of God in the place of God with access to the presence of God. This is the promise of God to Abraham, and it would come through Abraham. Okay? Now, Sarah's gone, there's Abraham and Isaac. The promise now rests with these two men. Problem, we need a wife for Isaac to bear children who would become this nation. And thus we have Genesis chapter 24. We're doing it in two parts. God's choosing a wife for Isaac, I want you to follow along just the front end of the chapter with me. If you're at Genesis 24, look at verse 1, follow along in your Bibles. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from, among, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Well, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware! You feel the emotion in that. No! Beware that you do not take my son back there. This is the land of promise, you see. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand 
under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And then the story unfolds. It would not do for Isaac to have a wife from among the Canaanites among whom they live. Think about this. God is birthing a nation, a separate, distinct nation through whom all the nations will be blessed. And the Canaanites, they're getting ready to be expelled from the land. You see, Abraham's descendants are going to rid the land of the Canaanites. It wouldn't do to have a Canaanite wife for Isaac. No, he must go back to his family. It's a 500-mile north and eastward journey, two weeks. Could be much longer than that for them to make this journey. And what unfolds then is the longest chapter in Genesis. Now, what's this? why is it so long? Why, why so much of this? Well, think about it when we read this. We're taking the second part today. But the details of the story are repeated. Do you notice that? It's like the story happens, and you get all these details. And then what we cover today is actually a retelling. He just says it all over again, tells the story. There's a third retelling. It's not recorded, but then the servant tells Isaac at the whole end of the story, let me tell you what God's done. Three times this thing is retold. Lord, why the repetition? Clearly God wants his people to understand how he keeps his promises and how his people join God in keeping those promises. We know when you read this of the servant's silent prayer, right? You remember when he prayed, Lord, I'm going to pray that when I ask that whoever says this, I'll know she's the one. Now, we the readers are the only ones who know this. See, people in the story, they have no idea how this is unfolding. We know that the answer to the servant's question, that it's Rebecca who says exactly what? Against all odds, last week, what he had prayed and he knew. Now, as readers... I think especially in this story, but you see it all the way through the Bible, we see what we can call the invisible hand of God moving and orchestrating all things to his purpose and end, don't we? We see this invisible hand. Well, that invisible hand has a theological name or title. It's called providence. The providence of God. If we're to take this concept, this theological truth of providence, and boil it all the way down, let me give it to you in in, in its irreducible minimum. God is in control. That's it. (laughs) It's God's providence. Now, if we wanted to to build upon that core and, and go, you know, Tell, tell, let's understand a little bit more about what the Bible says about God's providence. I don't think we could do any better than the shorter Westminster Catechism. It's going to bring back memories for maybe some of you with Presbyterian backgrounds. Uh, the Westminster, shorter Westminster Catechism asks the question in question 11, what are God's works of providence? Answer, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures, and all their actions. Now, that's a mouthful, and that encompasses everything, does it not? God's works of providence. His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. That God's providence is holy means his works of providence are set apart, holy, set apart, from any mistake, any blemish or flaw, you see, holy. 
that his works of providence are wise means he is providentially at work producing the best of all possibilities. He, he, he's omniscient. He knows all contingencies. And he brings about his purpose and will in all his wisdom that his works of providence are powerful reminds us, y'all, that what God intends, God does. You know, we can come up with kind of these silly riddles or whatever. No, can God make a square circle or can God make a rock too big for him to move? That's, incons- that's logically inconsistent. What we can say is this. There is nothing consistent with his character, nature, and purpose that God cannot do. This is God's works of providence. You're sitting here today. You're, you know, some of you, everyone that's looking at me, you're here because of God's providence. And you say, no, Lloyd, I'm here because my wife made me come today. You know, Lloyd, I'm here because dad made me come. Lloyd, I'm here because I set an alarm. I got up because this is what I do. Yes, 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 and yes. And you're here because of God's overarching works of providence, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Don't think robotic. You're not a robot. Don't think, uh, you know, mechanistic, like it's a mechanistic God controls I used my right hand today to brush my teeth. I didn't use whatever. It's it's not mechanistic. When you think of God's providence, may I invite you to consider the story before us. This story, read the story. What do you see? Man, you see real people having struggles, making real choices. You see, you know, some subtle tendencies in Laban of selfishness and self-interest. All this stuff is working out. The servant has to pray. How am I going to know? He prays, and then he's got to think about when he talks to the family, what do I share? Did I tell him about Ishmael, or do I not tell him about Ishmael? I'm trying to get him to let this girl go. You know, it's real people making real choices with real consequences, and God's invisible hand orchestrating and moving it all toward his good purpose and end. The question that the text asks of us, you all, I don't believe it's, you know, do we believe God's invisible hand of providence is at work? I don't think that's the question for most of us in the room. I think it's actually this. Do I believe God's invisible hand of providence is at work for me, in my circumstance, in my life? The reformers, when they were formulating biblical faith when they're going, what, what does it mean to be saved by faith alone? What is this faith that alone saves us? They formulated around three concepts, and this, the three parts of biblical trust or faith. I've, I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again, you know, in time. But it's not, three things, knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge, assent, and trust. You take any part of these three away and you don't have biblical faith. You don't have saving faith. Knowledge, you know, faith has content. Faith has, it's an intellectual knowing, you see. There's knowledge to be had, to know. Assent, assent means what we know, we confirm is true. I know that and that's true. But listen, even the demons had that much faith. They, you're the son of God. You know, they're the only ones on the planet, right, in the Gospels who keep saying, hey, you're Jesus, you're the son of God. The disciples don't get it yet, but the demons do. What's that about? Knowledge, assent. But you see, biblical faith is knowledge, assent, and trust. Not only is there a fact, I assent, it's true, it's true for me. Now, biblical faith, it's, it's mine. He did it for me, you see. That's biblical faith. 
when what we are hoping for, think about last week, is against all odds. It's against all odds that this could even happen. When God's inviting us to trust him for something that makes no sense, we need to know that his hand of providence is at work for me in this situation, you see. And that requires knowledge, assent, and trust. There's no one looking at me right now that's not facing something in your life that's hard for you to trust God with. Not on a fallen body, on a fallen planet. We've all got things that, that doesn't make sense. And yet God invites us to trust him in it and with it. How do we come to believe, how do we come to be convinced of God's providence? Really, we're talking about God's character, aren't we? That God's work and his work is at work for me. Well, in uh, part two of chapter 24, which we're going to dive into in a moment, Rebecca shows us how we can know. You know, you'll, it's not going to surprise you. You'll read it and you go, oh, yeah, maybe a different way to think about it. But she does something that, that lets us know she, she's, she believes God's providence is at work for her. She joins it. And in the same way, we can join what God is doing. Now, we came to this chapter months ago. And we said it's really long and it's rep- repetitive. And what's a way we can engage this chapter that maybe comes at it a little differently? Let's be a little more creative with our exposition of the text. You caught the first part of that. Last week, you're going to get the second part of that this morning. What I want you to know as you listen to our friends at The Quest, investigating questions, is that the voices you're going to hear are real people making real choices with real consequences. You know, Jesus said when he was teaching, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Y'all, he's not talking about the flanges on the side of our head, per se. He's saying he who has ears to, who's willing to hear with your mind and your will and your heart to, in, to hear, to know, ascend and trust what I'm saying. That's my encouragement to you as you use your imagination now and we explore this second part of God choosing a wife for Isaac. You're listening to The Quest. The Quest. Very nice. I'm Heidi. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kim, the innocent bystander. Still the innocent bystander. Still. There are worse things. So today we're talking about one word. One word? People who had the courage to say one word. Yes. Yes. Yeah, at the beginning, uh, I have to admit... I was a little hesitant to say yes. That's Curtis Sullivan. He mentors underprivileged boys in Franklin, Tennessee. So, Curtis, why were you hesitant? Well, looking back, I know my schedule at that time, I was really already busy. But something about those boys that I was burdened, my heart just says, I need to go do something. And uh, that's when I heard about Franktown Open Hearts, and I said yes. Yes isn't an easy word to say. No, it's not, Heidi. It's not. But I'm glad I said yes. Uh, Being a part of Franktown has changed me in a lot of ways, probably more so, and I've changed the life of some of those boys. Uh, 
when I first showed up for the first few times, I would hug the boys or I would shake their hand. But if you watch me close enough, I would ease back in the background and I would, I would wipe my hand off on my pants. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. But saying yes to Franktown was a pivotal point in my life, and I can trace it back to that moment when I said yes. Yes is a commitment. Or an adventure. The adventure starts with yes. Yes, siree. Yep. You got it. So Gandalf asked Bilbo if he wanted to go on an adventure. And at first, Bilbo said no, because he was scared. And then he said yeah. Or the adventure starts with, yeah, that was my son, Josiah. He's 12. Yeah, works too. It's better than no way, Jose. Definitely. So what about when we're ready for the adventure, but we have to wait to be chosen? We first have to hear someone else say yes. There are dozens and dozens of people auditioning. Um, they call you out on stage. You're behind a screen so the judges can't see you. You play for five minutes maybe and I say okay thank you I was pretty nervous yeah who's that that's Jeremy Williams 17 years ago he auditioned to play the violin with the Nashville Symphony after they hear an hour's worth of people they'll come back and say okay out of that hour we liked one person nobody maybe two people to move on to the semifinal round so um so I just kind of kept I played and then I moved on and then it's kind of like Survivor, you know, you just, uh, whoever's there at the end and I just somehow kept, kept surviving. <laughs> so you made it through the audition and then what happened? And you play and then you go back to your little warm up room and a little while later they come out and I say, okay, the committee has made their decision. They would like to hire you, Jeremy Williams. The conductor of the National Symphony said yes. I'll bet you have to practice a lot. Yep, we practice a lot on our own. I mean, every day it's five, six hours. And what happens if you make too many mistakes during performances? Well, if it happened more than once, I'd get fired, lose my job. Yep. Wow, no pressure there. There's pressure every day here, yeah. There's a lot of pressure. Every time you're on stage, there's, there is pressure, yeah. One that just the first one that came to mind was Scheherazade. It has a it has a huge solo in it, a violin, huge violin solo. This was a long time ago in another orchestra, but I I played the violin solo there. Were you afraid to say yes to that kind of commitment? Playing Scheherazade brought out fear in me like nothing I'd ever experienced. Fear. Fear? Yes, fear. I decided to ask Jill Baird, a counselor at Fellowship, how she thinks fear plays into us saying yes to new opportunities. Oh, I think fear is a big part of it. Fear of the unknown. Fear of failure. I'd be asking myself, could I really do that? Yeah, what if I totally mess up? So how can we find the confidence to say yes? I think the confidence to say yes is all about faith. Faith that God will take our yes and do something great with it for His kingdom. Like Christina Stevens. She goes to fellowship in Brentwood and was recently asked to do something that scared her to death. 
Jenny Watson from Women's Ministry called and asked if I would help teach a women's Bible study this fall. Wow. Did she know you were deathly afraid of public speaking? Apparently not. <laughs> and here she was asking me to teach up in front of people. Oh. My gut reaction was to say, no way. But I said I'd pray about it. You were stalling. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know what happens when you say you'll pray about something. Most of the time, I already know I'm supposed to say yes. And this time, as I prayed about it, I really felt like God was saying not to let fear define me. He said, just trust me. And so I said, yes. <laughs> and then there's Luke and Sandy Luttrell. Luke and I have seven kids. Okay, that's a different kind of yes. I think I would have said no to that. <laughs> no way, Jose. <laughs> Luke and Sandy go to fellowship in Franklin. We didn't start out our life together thinking we would have a big family. God just showed us how much of a blessing they are and how much we we love them. So we just decided to say yes, that God is in control of it. And so mm -hmm. we have seven. <laughs> yeah. They wanted to get to know their neighbors, right? I think for us it was like, it was sort of a layup because we had, we had the opportunity and the excuse to say, we, we just moved in, we don't know anybody here let's just get to know all of our neighbors and wouldn't you like to get to know your neighbors too, us and other people and we did um, what we called kind of a family meal sort of like a big meal with all of the neighbors um, and it was just simple stuff like you know a meet and then ask people to bring things and and they would just all come and we would just eat together I mean it, it was just a time to get to know each other it wasn't there wasn't an agenda. There wasn't, you know, we weren't going to break out the Bible at the end of it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We just didn't do that. So There was no weird questions or anything like that. It was just actually asking them about them, listening to their own cues of what's going on in their life, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not, they're not projects. They're not, you know, they're not people that we just see in passing and we go in the garage. We... We actually know them, uh, we know their story, they know ours, and I mean, it's just, uh, it's just normal. Some people might think that's all a little risky. Well, um, it can be, um, you know, it gets messy and um, sometimes you have to sit there and work through different issues with your neighbors, so there's always messiness. You know, it's one thing to say maybe, Maybe feel safe. The word yes is scary. Unknown. Risky. Talk about risky. I've been thinking of Rebecca from last week. I mean, picture it. A guy comes up to her out of nowhere at the well and says God led him to her. Right. Some people might say that makes no sense. Ah, but trusting God makes sense <laughs> even when, when it, it doesn't. doesn't. Right. So last week we left off when Abraham's servant had just discovered that God had miraculously led him to Rebecca, the beautiful woman from Nahor, into the house of Abraham's relatives. The servant had just given her a gold ring and two gold bracelets. Rebecca ran home and told her mother's household about everything. She had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban was like, the man said what? <laughs> kind of like that. As soon as he saw the gold ring and the bracelets on his sister and heard her story, he ran out to the spring to meet the man. The servant was standing by his camels at the well. And Laban invited him to come to his house. Come in, O oh blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. They gave straw and fodder to the camels. Fodder? Fodder. And they washed the feet of the man and the men who were with him. They set food before him to eat. Or fodder. Or fodder. But the man said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. Then he told them the story. 
how Abraham had become a wealthy man, how Isaac was born to him and Sarah in their old age, and how he had come to the well to find Isaac's wife. He told them his conversation with Abraham about where he would find her and how he was to bring the woman with him back to Abraham's house. Then he told them of his prayer at the well. O God of my master Abraham, let the woman who says to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also, be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. And how Rebekah said exactly, exactly what he had prayed. Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. After he finished his story, he said, If you plan to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me now. Laban, Rebekah's brother, and Bethuel, Rebekah's father, answered, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Then he brought out some more fabulous jewelry and clothes and gave them to Rebecca. And wisely, the servant gave Rebecca's mother and brother some fabulous gifts, too. They ate and drank and spent the night there. And in the morning, the servant said, Send me away to my master. But Rebecca's mother and brother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, please. Yes, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. Hmm, fine. Uh, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Rebekah had been asked to play a solo, and she said, Yes. Do you ever wonder what Rebecca was thinking during those two weeks while she traveled with the servant? Was she afraid? She was traveling with a stranger to go meet her husband sight unseen. That took some serious faith. Like Luke and Sandy. Well, we're already eating meals. You know, you eat three, three meals a day, seven days a week. So it's just inviting them into some of that, um, some of those meals. Um, you know, it's no different than what Jesus did when he was here. Um, he was out with his disciples and out with the people, and um, it came dinner time, and so they ate together. You know, it's um, it's just about being present, being with them, and uh, loving on them through the simplest thing of the meal. Like Curtis Sullivan. Yeah, we get some boys in Franktown who are pretty troubled, but I know God has me there at this point in my life to make a difference. I just have to be still enough and to be really dependent on him to keep saying yes, which I will. Like Christina Stevens. Well, I have my first teaching session coming up and I'm a little freaked out. I might make some mistakes, you know, like drop my notes or stumble over my words or trip or something. But I know God's called me to this. So Jeremy, what happens if you make too many mistakes? Well, I <laughs> sure won't be asked to play a solo again, that's for sure. There's pressure in saying yes. Performing. Getting it right. So what happens if I say yes to God and I mess up? Yeah, like a big fat mistake. What if I fail? That's a big question. He says, sorry, that's the last solo you ever play for me. No, he doesn't. No way, Jose. Yeah, it is always going to be messy because we are humans. And humans are messy and needy of God all the time. And 
the good news, the, the great news, the gospel news is that Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be. Grace. 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 It takes faith to say yes. Yeah, faith that no matter what, God will take our yes and even our mistakes and do something great with it for his kingdom. Like Curtis. Like Christina. Like Jeremy. Like Luke and Sandy. Like Rebecca. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought Rebekah into the tent of Sarah, his mother. She became his wife. And he loved her. All because she said, Yes. yes. I'm Kim. I'm Jonathan. I'm Heidi. And you've been listening to The, the Quest. I want us to sit for just a few moments as I conclude the second part of this. And I want you to think and pray and meditate and trust the Holy Spirit to bring to mind. What is God inviting you to trust him with? Said another way, what, what is God inviting you to say yes to? When her brother asked Rebecca, will you go with this man? In essence, he was saying, will you trust God? Now, can you think about what it cost her to say goodbye to family and friends, to leave her country? I mean, this is Abrahamic faith, quite frankly. Don't miss the connection. She did what Abraham had done and she leaves, and she trusts God. Don't miss that her answer was, don't miss this, her answer, I will go. By the way, it is one word in the Hebrew that she says, I will follow, I'll go. Don't miss that it was not just knowledge and assent. What was it? It was knowledge, it was assent, and it was trust. How do we know it was trust? Because she got on a camel, because she took the trip, because she went because she left behind everything. She trusted. The question was asked, what about, well, what if we're not invited? What if there's no, you know, will you say yes? Well, let me settle that once and for all. Paul does this in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He writes and says, for as many as are the promises of God in him, in Christ, they are, what are they? Yes, you see, it's not just yes, it's yes in Christ. That God has sent his son to live the life that we couldn't live, that he died the death we deserve, that he was buried and rose again. That's God's yes, I want you. I want you in relationship with me forever. If you have never put your trust in Christ, I want you to hear this. That's the first yes of life. To say, yes, God, 
What am I saying? I'm, I'm, I'm talking about yes to the good news of the gospel. I'm going one direction with my life away from God. I'm going to turn repentance and say, yes, God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross because he bore the sins of the world, and he did all that for me. See, this is trust. He did it for me. If you've never trusted Christ, that's the first yes. And I invite you to make that yes today. Now, I know for most in the room, you've made that decision. My question to us is, do we understand that the Christian life is not just yes to justification, that Christ died for me and I'm clothed in his righteousness. You may have done that last week. You may have done it 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that there's that first yes. But the Christian life is not just yes, and that's it. It's yes, 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 yes. It's a lifetime of saying yes to God, of I trust you. I trust you with this. Uh, This is really difficult. I'd rather not have that from you, but I trust it's from you. Yes, I receive it from you. See, this is our, what do we, we, we call it? Our sanctification, our becoming more like Jesus. How do we become more like Jesus? We say yes to that which he puts in front of us. You know, oftentimes we get stuck in our faith. I do. You get these dry spells, and some of this is not, you know, it's, it, it's, there's a variety of reasons for that. But let me say this. Many times we're stuck, and, and what we often do, what many people do, and I'm not throwing anyone under the bus on this. I'm just saying I've observed this over 20 years. It's one of the first things we do is we switch churches. It's just not working for me now. I'm going to go somewhere, you know, and there's other, there's good reasons to switch churches, but sometimes it's because I'm stuck. Sometimes we go and want to find a book. Sometimes we want to go to a seminar. Sometimes we're looking for the key to the spiritual life, you know, like, hey, have you read this? It's amazing. It's an amazing book, you know, and it's like, you know, no one's known it for 2015 years, but now we know the secret to spiritual growth. And you know, we've always known the secret to spiritual growth. And at, at its core, again, we can cut this so many different ways. Part of it is, yes, God. It's just saying yes to that which he puts in front of us. And I believe that there is for all of us something the Spirit would prompt us on that you're thinking about even now as I'm speaking that God's inviting me to say yes to that. Let me give you, uh, I've got five or six principles, if I may, uh, things to consider as, as we're kind of thinking about this. How do I say yes? How do I... How do I trust God's providence at work for me? A few things to keep in mind. One, there is not a person on the planet that can thwart God's purpose for you when you say yes to him. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying there's not going to be difficulties, but no one can thwart God's purpose for you when you say yes to God. I could say it this way. It's impossible to fail when we say yes to God. Now, don't hear me saying on that it's not going to be easy or bad things aren't going to happen. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you, when we say yes to God, that's faith. We're trusting him. Here's another one. God's providence doesn't keep us from obstacles or tensions, but guides us through them. Do you notice in this story, that God's providence, God's invisible hand doesn't remove all the obstacles, make it smooth and no problem. This is easy. This is the Christian life. No, God's providence can I say this actually, brings some of those obstacles and invites those obstacles 
And then he invites us to trust him through them. And through trusting him in them, we're shaped into the image of Christ. We become more like Christ. Here's one. Uh, Our perception of God's providence is often most clearly seen in the rear view mirror rather than through the windshield. When I was learning to drive, you know, my dad's going, Lord, you need to know what's behind you as much as you need to know what's in front of you. You need to know what's on the side of you, right? All that. You need to look in your rear view mirror as a regular habit of driving. Let me say that's a pretty good spiritual principle that you and I, let's often look in our rear view. When I say that, what am I saying? I'm saying often look in the rear view. You go, you know, God is faithful. God has been faithful. God's been faithful to me in. And when you look in your rear view, you come to that place where you go, he's been faithful and I'm here. He will be. You look through the windshield and trust that he continues to be faithful for that is is his character and nature. I love this little vignette in the story. Much can be said. Uh, I'll say it this way. God is at work before you start praying. He's at work before you start praying. You notice the, the servant when he said, he's retelling the story and he says, and before I finish praying in my heart, you notice he didn't even say it out loud. He was just praying with his mind. He was praying to God in his heart. He says, before I finish that, Rebecca showed up. So my question is, when did God start working? When he started praying? No, God had been at work way before he ever uttered the prayer, right? Let me tell you something. He'd been at work in Mesopotamia, in the Negev. He's, he's at work everywhere to preserve and govern all his creatures and all their actions and he's at work in this he was at work way before he started praying but oftentimes and this is not always true but sometimes it's like the light comes on for us when we pray we actually recognize that he's at work it'll often happen that way let me say this as almost a warning related to yes to god and boy this is a tough one for me oftentimes but i think there's a lesson in here don't delay when you sense God says, take the step, don't delay. I, I think it's interesting when they said, yes, take Rebecca, and then what do they say the next morning? Hey, you think she could stay for 10 days maybe? This is Laban. This is Laban. Think about what Laban does later on in the story <laughs> to Isaac's son. Huh? Wanting to watch. He's scheming. You think she could stay 10? No, she can't stay 10. God has prospered me. Send me on my way, you see, and... I think there's something in that to being sensitive to the prompting of God and, and, and not delaying the yes. I was with a, a friend of mine, Glenn Wilson, recently, Glenn, and uh, some of us were on a trip, and Glenn was telling a story about his son, um, Garrett, who's at uh, Union University, and I asked Glenn, man, can I tell that story? It's amazing. Well, Garrett had a friend whose father uh, took his life. And uh, when the friend came back to school, Garrett took him and some fraternity brothers of his, and they went uh, to IHOP. And, uh, you know, when, when do kids in college go to IHOP? For breakfast at 8 in the morning? No. You know, they're 2 or 3 in the morning. You know, they're, they're at IHOP. And uh, they're just encouraging this young man. And, and Garrett, as they were leaving, Garrett just sensed that he needed to go talk to this gentleman, an older gentleman in the, in the IHOP, you know, 2 or 3 in the morning. And he went over and said to the man, um, I, I just felt like God wanted me to come pray for you. And the man said to Garrett, you know, I'm just sitting here trying to work up the courage to take my life. Now, I know, I go, really? And, and Glenn goes, Garrett, how, what, what made you do that? And Garrett said something along the lines of, when God prompts you, you say you do it. <laughs> In that moment, you see, how many times do we miss opportunities? I don't want to go super mystical on you guys on this. I don't mean to at all. But those opportunities, when you sense God's inviting you to trust him to 
say, to do, to go, to... And we, we kind of bypass it. We could miss those opportunities. Don't delay. Last thing, I want you to think about an amazing principle that's going on here. Isaac and Rebecca in their marriage. It illustrates one of the foundational principles of marriage. When I do a wedding or premarital counseling, I always go back to this, that you know, one of the core principles of, of marriage is that we receive our spouse on the basis of God's character. That's, that's how we receive the gift of our spouse, not on they're beautiful, they make a lot of money, I think she's going to be a great wife, she's going to have babies, we can do... No, you, you, based on God's character. You do Isaac and Rebecca, how much do they know about each other? They didn't know anything about each other. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, today, you know, the servant would have gone to the well and he'd been shooting Instagram pictures, posting, hey, check her out. What do you think of her? Check out the camels. Look at her biceps. She's on that bar. You know, he, 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 don't know any, he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. Go back to Genesis. Adam and Eve, how much did they know about each other before they got married? How much? They didn't know anything. But who did they know? Who did they know? I want you to say, who did they know? They knew God, you see. And so they, based on, you know, Adam looks at Eve, but he looks past Eve and he goes, God, you don't make mistakes. And based on your character and nature, I receive her as my wife. And I think it's beautifully illustrated here. And by the way, that back end of the story that they read, it's truly the end of a movie. Sunset. She, you know, she gets off. She, it says he came from Bethlehem, the well. You know what that well means, the name of that well is? Remember, that's the well that Hagar named. That's where he had been hanging out when he went to meditate. He was at the well of the God who sees. And then it says, and she lifted her eyes. And it says, and he lifted his eyes. It's a beautiful story of this ending and this marriage. But what if, what if we took that principle and we applied it not just to marriage, but we applied it to life and circumstances because of God's good hand of providence and we said, I don't like that circumstance. I don't like that what's going on, but I trust that it comes through the hand of God into my life. I trust God's character that he's at work even in that for my good and his glory. And therefore, oh, I can say, God, trust in you. Yes, I'll trust you with this, even this. What's your yes today? Let's stand together. I'm going to send us out. And I'm going to send us out with this word from Paul because the back end of it really helps us in our response, okay? I read it earlier. Uh, for as 2 Corinthians 1.20, for as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are yes. And then he finishes this way. Therefore, also through him, through Christ, in Christ, think about Rob's message last week, in Christ is our Amen to the glory of God. And see, what, it, what he's so, showing us is our yes. Listen, it doesn't just come from, I'm going to, okay, yes. No, 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 no. That yes only comes as we're resting in Christ and all that he is. Christ never, never said no to the Father. Christ was always, yes, Father, yes, Father. And when we're in Christ, 
trusting Christ, resting in Christ. See, that's where the yes, the amen to God's yes to us. And may that be true for you. And may that be true for me. Saying yes to God makes sense, even when it doesn't. God bless. And I will see you at Party on the Lawn in a few hours. Thanks. Mm -hmm.